Good afternoon and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director at EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. The Eco News Report is brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, the Eco News. All right, well, I have two great guests, one in the studio and one by phone. So joining me in the studio is Eli Asarian, a scientist who studies beavers, among other things. And we have Kate Lundquist by phone all the way from the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, let's do a little bit of introductions. Kate, who are you and why are you on the show today? (laughs) Why do you care about beavers? Yeah, great question. So I have been with the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center for the last 13 years and I co-direct our Water Institute program along with my colleague Brock Dolman, and we have been running a Bring Back the Beaver campaign for many years now, and this is an extension of the watershed restoration advocacy and education work that we've been doing for a long time now, and in particular focusing on recovering listed species, including our beleaguered salmon, and so... California has not really been taking advantage of the benefits of beaver to help species like salmon, and so this is why we got into trying to bring beaver back, and that's why I'm here today to tell you more about that. All right. Thank you, Kate. And Eli, I have a feeling that you probably got to the beaver world through fish as well. Is that right? I did, yeah. So I'm the the principal at a consulting company called Riverbend Sciences, which is based in Eureka, and I do a variety of things related to the, the science of rivers and streams. I do hydrology, water quality, um, a lot of data analysis type stuff. And I was working on a, a contract for the National Marine Fisheries Service, helping them develop uh, Endangered Species Act recovery plans for coho salmon. And was reading and doing a lot of research in the literature and trying to understand what makes good habitat for, for juvenile salmon. And beavers kept coming up over over and over again and, and as I was learning more about that. And so I wanted to learn more about them. And then since then, it's been a slow, slow spiral into the into the, the beaver vortex. All right. And I, I guess I, I should have said at the very beginning, today's show is about beavers. In case you haven't picked that up already, beavers, you know, I, one of the world's largest rodents. Eli, tell us a little bit more about the beaver. Sure. So it is a it's a large rodent. They live uh, in and around water. They you won't you won't find them somewhere where there's there's not water. They they require perennial year-round water and able to in order to survive. So they live in rivers and streams and wetlands and lakes and ponds. And they build their they build their lodges either in the stream banks or sometimes you see in a lake you might see like a giant pile of sticks out in the middle of the of the lake and that's them building their building their lodge out out in the lake. Is is a lodge the same as a beaver dam? Good question. <laughs> They're actually different. The a dam is what a beaver would build on a, on a river or stream when the water is not deep enough for them. When they when they feel like they they want the water to be deeper so that they can avoid predators and just be safe and be able to access their food sources, then they'll build a dam to increase the the depth of the water so they can swim around. But it's a separate 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 structure. Yeah. Okay, so they live in lodges. What's their what their what's their family situation like, or what, what are they like culturally? <laughs> well, <laughs> so there's there's generally a mother and a father, a male and and, and female. And then they'll they'll mate and have a litter of of kits, are what the little ones are called, and 
I think they do they stick around for about a year or two before dispersing out. Do you think that's is that about right? Yeah, they're generally two to three years before the two juveniles. Three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, depending on conditions. Yeah. And I would say too that they are they are native to North America. We're talking about Castor canadensis, which only is native to North America, as opposed to Castor fiber over in Asia and Europe. And they are herbivores, contrary to popular belief. Some folks mistakenly think they eat fish, which they do not. So they're living off of bark and roots and bulbs and grasses and a variety of things, though they do tend to favor willows and things in the trees in the populace family, like cottonwoods and aspen and whatnot. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard aspens referred to as the beaver chocolate. Ooh, it's their yeah. favorite, favorite thing. All right. So now that we are grounded a little bit about beavers, let's talk about what makes them special. Kate, you spend almost all of your time thinking about beavers. What are you thinking about? Why are you trying so hard to get them back in coastal streams here in California? Beaver are what we call a keystone species. So if you know about arch construction, that stone at the top, the last one that you put in that holds all of the other stones together in the arch is really, really important. And similarly, beaver, in providing this habitat that they create by building dams and digging bank burrows and leaving debris piles on the stream bottoms, they are providing all of this space for other species to benefit from. And so they impound water which can help increase the volume of water, but also increase the time over which that water persists into the dry season. And for those of us that live in the arid west, this is really important that we have water extending across our dry Mediterranean climate and season in the summer months into the fall. And in building these dams, they also help improve the water quality. So it filters the water and it slows it down, and it helps infiltrate it into the groundwater, rehydrating the landscape. And so if you've ever seen a beaver pond or a wetland network that they create, you'll see all of these other species showing up, whether it's insects or reptiles, amphibians, lots of mammals, a lot of birds benefit as well. And so there's a lot of documented evidence that folks have been gathering for decades now about just the incredible impact that beaver can have on on the landscape and all the benefits that that can provide, not only just to other species, but to humans as well. So for us, you know, it can improve forage for our critters, whether we're doing cattle or, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to do on the landscape. So it's, it's a very multifaceted suite of services that beaver provide. And because this is Northwest California and one of our favorite species here is the coho salmon, let's touch really specifically on our Southern Oregon, Northern California coastal coho. Eli, you helped write the the NIMS National Marine Fisheries Service recovery plan for these coho. What did the recovery plan say about beavers and why, why or what's the relationship between beavers specifically and coho salmon? Yeah, so when, when the coho salmon were were listed by the federal government as endangered, the trapping of beavers and the general reduction in the population of beavers was cited as, as one of the factors that had contributed to the historical decline in the, in the coho salmon population. And the, the coho salmon is, they're, 
their their favorite habitats is is slow water. That's really what the what the juvenile fish are they're optimized for. If you look at them, they've got these giant eyes. It's almost like they can see and see in the dark, and so they like these really complex and deep and just really messy messy type of habitats that are you know difficult places for a human to get along with. But the, but the salmon love them, and so. The pond that is is backed up by beaver dam is really perfect habitat for for a coho salmon. It's got lots of complex cover where the you know where the beavers have fallen trees and knocked them into the water and stockpiled their piles of sticks and there's leaves and you might get some emergent vegetation like cattails or bulrushes and so there's a lot of nooks and crannies for the fish to hide and they really like that that slow that slow water and they do the juveniles will survive. Um, at high rates there, and they'll grow to be to a, a good size. And then when they go out to the ocean, they have a larger chance of, of surviving in the, the dangerous ocean, the larger of a size that they are. So the, the fish get bigger, better, faster, stronger because of beavers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And, yeah, so when a, when a beaver builds a dam on a small stream, it, it, it transforms, which is, which is really kind of a, originally a thin, small thread of water and then really spreads that water out to make it deeper and more water and wider and so it increases not only the the quality of the habitat but also the the quantity of the habitat the size of the habitat and so we're lucky because we we have two published authors here on a really cool paper about beavers in california so the Department of Fish and Wildlife here in California once claimed that the beavers were not native to most of California. But because of the good work of Kate and Eli, among others, they've changed their tune. So let, let's talk about this scientific controversy. Is it even a controversy? So, Kate, tell us about the historic distribution of beavers across the state, you know, pre-European colonization. Sure. So... From what we can tell, beaver occurred almost throughout the state. We found a lot of historic evidence that indicated that beaver were being trapped up and down the coast and in the Sierra Nevada and in Southern California as well and throughout the Central Valley. So just to clarify, this thought about where beaver were occurring originally historically came out of Grinnell's work and then Tappy later with his status of beaver report followed up on this and reinforced this idea that the beaver they thought at the time were only native to the Central Valley and to a part of the Modoc Klamath zone and then the Colorado River. And so when we looked through the evidence and found all of these historic accounts, we were happy to see that that didn't actually, that it, it you know, it, it seems surprising that they didn't occur in the coast because those of us who have seen beaver and what they can do and how adaptable they are just didn't make sense. And so, sure enough, there was some physical evidence found up in Plumas County in the 5,000-foot elevation, some buried beaver dams that were carbon dated, and three different layers of carbon dating were done back, to, you know, I think the earliest was like 560 A.D. and then somewhere in the 700s and then up until 1850. And then beyond the Sierra, we also found a lot of ethnographic evidence. So it turns out that there are 60 different native California languages that have a word for beaver in their native tongue. And so that was very encouraging and, and not surprising and we found other forms of evidence, things like, you know, a shaman's rainmaking kit from the Chumash Indians down in Southern California, pictographs of beaver 
The Tule River Reservation has a pictograph, as does there's one in Cuyama Valley as well, down in Southern California. So, yeah, we were really encouraged to see that there was all of this evidence out there, and so gathered it together and published it in the California Fish and Game Journal, which is super helpful in that this belief of there not being native is kind of persisting amongst our agencies and in particular the California Department of Fish and Wildlife so that the fact that they were willing to publish it in their own journal was very helpful to getting the word through and reaching out to their staff and then other agencies beyond that. Yeah, it was a it was a really fun fun project working on the historical research we spent, you know, probably hundreds of hours and it was a big big team of people we've got uh, i think is it six or seven authors on the paper and you know we scoured we scoured the internet relentlessly and my my, the last piece i did on the project i went into the the archives of the uc berkeley's bancroft library and was you know looking through original actually holding in my hands you know manuscripts of people's journals from like the 1860s and 1840s and it was just really neat to See how deep we could we could dig into into beaver history, and there's 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 still a few more avenues to pursue. We never went to to Saint Petersburg to the Russian Academy of Sciences because we didn't speak Russian and we didn't have time to do that. But so we may we may revisit it at some point and do do a round two. But I think for the most part, we we pretty much achieved our, our goals for the project, which was to determine you know to answer the question of whether or not people were native to California and, or to you know large portions of the state of California. And we feel like we've we've pretty conclusively answered that that question and that was that question of whether or not they were native used to just come up almost continuously when we were trying to talk about changes in beaver management in in california we kept hearing well they're not native and they're not native and since we put out that report and been doing outreach around the state to to get the message out on that i think it's really changed the changed the conversation and and we we still have those conversations you know occasionally but a lot less than we used to all right. You're listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm speaking with Elias Sarian and Kate Lundquist about beavers. We are the true beaver believers. So the, the study that we're talking about is one of my favorite studies I've read in a good number of years because it's so fun, because there are so many different things that they're able to grab. Native language words for beaver. You know, presumably if <laughs> if there's a word for it, then there's going to be a reason for that word pictographs, you know, the the whole range of evidence that y'all present is very fantastic. So I want to encourage listeners to go out there and Google, find that paper. I believe it's available for free online. So Eli, what, what's the title for people to Google if they want to read the paper? It's called the Historical Range of Beaver, in parentheses, Castor Canadensis, which is the Latin name, in Coastal California, an updated review of the evidence. Kate, I think we should probably direct people to your website. I think you guys have a probably a, the most comprehensive beaver information for, for California. So can you can you tell folks sure, about that? Sure, yeah. You can find that paper on our website, oaec.org slash beaver. And there's a whole slew of publications that we have available there, including those two papers. There are actually three papers associated with these studies. One was the physical evidence for the Sierra Nevada, the buried beaver dam. The other was other evidence for the Sierra, and then the third is the coastal paper. So it's a fun read, and yes, I echo with Eli that it's it's definitely been helpful. I know for me and the work that I've been doing in the Sierra Nevada, working with Forest Service, for example, they 
said to me directly that, well, now that this paper has come out, we're changing our management approach and not seeing the beaver as non-native anymore, and we are going to try to coexist more and work with the beaver rather than just killing them because they're causing issues. So in that regard, it's been really helpful and to changing minds and practices. And there is still work to be done if folks are wanting to do work specifically in their watershed. I know one of the things that I encountered was just the archaeological record. There's still a lot of bones to be gone through, quite literally, because they're just being stored as you know, big collections of small mammals or medium mammals, and folks haven't taken the time to to look through and see which of those are beaver, because in a lot of cases, folks don't even realize that this has been an issue, this non-native question. And California seems to be the only one that seems to be having this problem. <laughs> so You know, we like to be outliers in California. Yeah, we're so special. <laughs> we're special. All right. Well, Kate, you, you gave us a, a nice transition when when talking about the problems facing beavers so you know we we know now that beavers are really great for for salmon for restoring groundwater for connecting streams with their floodplains again they're really special but the beaver is not where we want them to be in california in particular i think that the beaver is missing from a lot of coastal california and the beaver is maybe a problem for some people in other parts of the state. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, first of all, I just want to say that we don't have a thorough picture on where beaver occur in the state, and that's something that we're trying to get folks to help us out with. The state is not adequately funded to be tracking that right now, and so if folks want to use iNaturalist and log where beaver are, we can then add that to Eli's Beaver Mapper and that will help us get a better sense. And being that beaver are super adaptable, they can occur in lots of different places. And so in places, they can occur in cities. They do well in suburbs. And they do well living in and amongst humans. And in places where humans have modified the water conveyance system, where we've got ditches and canals and we've planted orchards, you know, basically... The way California was settled is is the settlers took over the beaver wetlands, drained them, and then planted in their fertile soil. And when the beaver have come back now, they're trying to get in there, and they're utilizing a lot of the waterways that we've modified and, you know, inevitably causing issues like chewing down precious trees or blocking ditches or punching holes in, in levees and blocking culverts and things like that. And all of these issues aren't insurmountable. We have techniques for for dealing with them. There are ways to prevent the beaver from blocking culverts, and you can wrap your trees, and there's all kinds of examples. My partner, Kevin Swift, for example, has been working up in El Dorado Hills where they this big, huge development has emerged, and the beaver love the waterways and green spaces they've created but aren't being super well-received, even though there's all this great bird life and minks and different things showing up. So it'd be great if we could just encourage everyone to implement these strategies. They're super cheap to install. There's money out there to do it, and it's not that difficult. And the places that don't have beaver anymore are, you know, places that 
we have, you know, we've been focusing a lot on coastal salmonid-bearing streams where beaver could really help bring those salmon back like Eli was talking about. So it would be great to get beaver back in those systems. And similarly, up in the Sierra, in the head, headwaters of a lot of our watersheds where we rely on this ever-diminishing snowpack, if we could keep that water up in those uplands longer by using, working with beaver, we would be a lot better off. And so we've been working a lot with the Sierra Meadow Restoration Community, in particular with the Sierra Meadows Partnership, in trying to integrate beaver restoration into meadow restoration so that we can support the beaver that are already there and encourage them to move into other places. And ideally, one day, we hope we can relocate them, which currently is not allowed by the department. So why why isn't it allowed? What what is what are the barriers to relocation? My understanding is that the department is concerned about liability, disease transmission, harm to fish potentially and harm to the beaver themselves and things like this. And so we're really trying to support the department in rethinking that position because every other Western state has a relocation program because they recognize the benefits of beaver to their endangered species. And so we're really trying to educate the department about the potential opportunity that we have here in California and and really trying to figure out what we could do to relieve them of those concerns. So if, if we're looking for a relocation model, Eli, Washington State had had a pretty cool program from the U.S. Forest Service. Can you talk a little bit about that? And could that be a model for here in California? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, up in, up in Washington in the Metau Valley, which is a, the Metau River is a tributary to the Columbia River. It's an area similar to some places in, in California where, you know, there's, there's lowland agricultural areas down in, in the valley and there's, you know, canals and ditches. And so beavers were getting into troubles there, clogging irrigation ditches and such. And so rather than, than killing the beavers like we do here in, in California, they developed this idea of catching the beavers and translocating them up into the mountains where, you know, there's not a lot of human infrastructure up, up there and it's much safer place for the for the beavers to be and they were interested in, in starting to see if the the beavers could you know help increase the increase the water supply and build some nice habitats up in the mountains there and so they actually repurposed an old fish hatchery and they turned it into a beaver beaver holding facility slash beaver dating facility and what they would do is they would they would catch the beavers and then you know just watch them for a while and make sure they didn't have any test them make sure they didn't have any diseases and then they would they would put a few few beavers into one of the the raceways in the hatchery and they would see if the if the male and female beavers started sleeping in the same in the same in the same little den that they had set up and and if they would stay on you know separate sides of the raceway and and not cohabitate then they would swap it out and get a new one and then once they found a compatible pair then they would translocate them out out together and so they found that was helpful to have a family unit starting when they would put the beavers out in the field, they'd be more likely to stay than if they just put individual beavers out. And Kate, I think you actually went up there and volunteered with them for a while, didn't you? I did. I got to move some beaver around in the beautiful Medhow Valley. Super fascinating and fun. So, so Kate, what is it like to, to release a beaver? You know, as a beaver believer, can you talk about that experience, you know, personally to, to bring back this species to where it was once native and, you know, to give it a new home and provide all these ecosystem benefits. 
It's amazing. I mean, think about it. It just—it's such—it's so needless to be killing these beaver in places where we can't figure out how to coexist with them. And so, in cases where relocation is the best option, it just—it's such a good feeling to be able to take them out of that situation and put them somewhere where they can be useful and where they aren't going to cause as much conflict. And so really, really gratifying to get to be a part of that. And they're just super fascinating creatures, very social. They groom themselves. They groom one another. I got to relocate beaver in Colorado with Sherry Tippy and also with the Metow Beaver Project. And in Sherry Tippy's case, she was trying to capture the whole colony. And so you get these whole family units and get to see how they interact. And then bringing them up to this new place that you release them and send them off and wish them the best. It's it's really amazing. And there are a lot of great documentaries out there that cover this kind of work that I highly recommend, whether it's the PBS special, Leave it to Beavers. And there's actually a new Beaver Believers movie that is coming out that Sarah Konigsberg of Tensegrity Productions is shopping around to different film festivals right now. And I also recommend as a resource, if you want to learn more about this, is to, aside from checking out all the California Beaver Believer websites, whether it's the Worth a Damn, you know, martinezbeavers.org or our website, I would definitely recommend Ben Goldfarb's new book that just came out this month called Eager. And this book basically covers the entire beaver story in in North America. It's The Surprising Secret Life of Beavers and Why They Matter. It's published by Chelsea Green. And there's a chapter about California, and we are featured in that along with a bunch of other players in the California beaver scene. And you get to learn more about deep history of, you know, the paleo beavers and the casteroides, the nine-foot beaver, all the way through to what's happening in different states and, and what the politics are around beavers. So it's a great read. You know, we're approaching the end of the show, and I I have so many more questions. And, I, I, you know, we, we'll probably have to get you both back on the show again so we can continue this conversation because there's so much to say about beavers. But as as we're leaving, I, I know folks are, are going to want to do something to help the beaver. Kate, you mentioned iNaturalist. Can you say a little bit about what that is? And Eli, then maybe touch on your beaver mapper project. Sure thing. So iNaturalist is it's an online platform for making observations of of all kinds of species, from plants to insects to mammals. And it's as you just need to log on and make an account, and you can upload photos from your camera. You don't have to have a smartphone, but if you do have a smartphone, you can download the app, and all you have to do is take a picture and post it. And if you don't know what it is, they will, different folks will look at it and help you try to identify what it is. And we've been using that to get citizens to help ID signs of beavers, so dams, chewed sticks, lodges or beaver themselves or tracks and if you look in the back we have a whole booklet called beaver in california creating a culture of stewardship and the whole back page spread is all of the signs that you should be looking for and if you you can download that on our website for free or you can buy a physical copy from us and that'll help you guide you in looking for beaver sign and and uploading evidence onto the iNaturalist website all right great and then that will get fed into eli's project yeah, so when I first started working on, 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 on beavers and trying to understand them better, I was, I was frustrated by the lack of information on where there actually were beavers. I wanted to go out and, and see 
sea beavers and see the effects that they had on, on habitat. And I was doing research, and I just couldn't find a good solution. So I decided to build, do my own mapping project. And the best way to find it is just to Google search for beaver mapper. And I've, I've put together a map of the distribution of beavers in, in the whole state. People can get an account and, and add information to that, or I can harvest stuff that is uploaded to iNaturalist. And so it's been a really helpful project for helping inform people on where beavers are in California. So I wanted to encourage people to participate in that. All right, cool. Thank you both for joining the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Tom Wheeler, and I've been your host for the past half hour. And I was just speaking with Eli Asarian and Kate Lundquist about beavers. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you could go to the archive programs page at khsu.org. You can also subscribe to the Eco News Report as a podcast using your favorite podcast app for your on-the-go listening pleasure. Do it. It's pretty cool. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks, as always, to Fred for engineering Join us again next week right here for the Eco News Report.